Maybe we're just stars colliding. That's why people come and go. I love this beautiful quote from a dear friend, Samantha Boon. So Sam has a way with words. Her words are born from a place that few have ever experienced um, at our age. You know, when, and when I'm talking about, I'm talking about in our 20s and 30s. And that is her words are born from love and loss. So it's been 10 years since the passing of Sam's love and death of a loved one shatters our hearts. So how do we heal from this and how do we grieve? How do we allow ourselves to continue to expand and continue to choose love and never let our heart harden? So losing the life of a loved one, I believe, is different to the ending of a relationship in that it wasn't the relationship it wasn't that the relationship wasn't working out. So her journey of healing has led to the most beautiful poetry and prose. Now I hang on and anyone that reads her poetry hangs on to every word and we can get drawn into her world. And you have that lump in your throat that rises just from the words that she creates. So whilst we may never have experienced the depths of losing a loved one. Her words are definitely a balm to our heart and as we can understand the experience of loss and heartbreak. And then there's her pole dancing, right? So self-expression, defying the status quo and a true demonstration of joy and courage. What started out as a hobby is now a love. So pole dancing found its way into Sam's life and Sam's life has further expanded and can exercise self-expression through this magical art form. Sam, I am so excited to have you in this conversation and I'm really excited to explore love and healing and life. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Yumi. <laughs> so um, <laughs> can we start with, you know, you sharing your story about Duke, uh, your loved one that passed away. Sure. So, um, Duke and I were together since we were about 16 and up until, um, we were just out of high school. So we're high school sweethearts and, um, we, he started getting a sore shoulder and because he was a really active boy, um, he'd always, you know, the doctors thought it was just a sporting injury um, and they constantly just kept giving him, prescribing him the same medication. Um, and when he finally insisted that there was something more than beyond what the eye can see that was wrong with him. And, you know, I can be angry at the doctors for misdiagnosing him, but he was also really young and cancer, you know, so rare in someone that age that they didn't see it. Um, and so they, uh, finally just put him in to get a CT scan and found that he'd had, um, a six by nine centimeter tumor in his bowel and metastasis all over his lungs up to his neck. So by the time we found out, we'd only had about a month to register that he was dying before he passed away. Wow. Yeah. So what was going through your mind? I mean, so it's been 10 years now since, mm. he, um, since he passed away. What, yeah, so can you share with me the experience of, I guess, grief, 
and to where you are now. I mean, what was that experience sure. of loss? What was that like? And how, I get, I get, yeah, like how would your heart even reconcile this loss? Yeah, um, I, I think it's been so long now that, yeah. I mean, his memory is not long gone. Um, and I remember that being my biggest fear when he first passed away. And um, I, I'm sure a lot of people who've gone through grieving can relate to this experience. But, you know, I tried really hard to preserve his memory as much as I could because I felt like that's all I had. Um, at first, there was, I went through a state of denial. I thought mm. maybe he'll come back. You know, I just, I had dreams about him coming back home, knocking on the door. Um, and I think I held on to a lot of his sweaters and, you know, when he, when he was sick, I thought maybe, you know, maybe it's the cancer disposing of itself. Um, that, that was my, my, you know, thought process is this is constant denial. And then after, you know, all the people have come and gone and, you know, everyone's moved on with their lives and you feel sort of stuck, you know, that I remember feeling, um, really isolated while I was mm. grieving um yeah because I saw everybody go back into their ordinary lives and nobody was asking me how I was anymore and I just felt like I, I was just stuck in my own bubble of grief mm. and I couldn't move on from that and so, yeah. yeah so um I guess how I'm <clears throat> sorry Amy, I'm, I feel like I'm coming on with something <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, so in terms of how my heart reconciled it, it took a long time. I didn't date or see anyone for about four years after he passed away. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, after that, it was a really slow process, like even just like slowly getting to date someone or I could never even think about having something serious with someone for a long time. Mm. Because, I mean, in your, I mean, in some of your writing, you still express um, and you share about your relationship. So I've often wondered, um, yeah, like how, like, you know, through your writing, is that, was that a way of you healing as well? Definitely. So as I mentioned, um, with that feeling of being stuck in a bubble, mm. um, I, I couldn't. I think grief is a really difficult thing because um, like I was reading this um, book by Joan Didion and she says that, you know, people who grieve uh, who, or grieve too much fall into this state of self-pity. And <laughs> there's that, yeah, there's that fear that, that fear that nobody will understand. And if I keep whinging and complaining about it, that people are going to look at me and think that I'm just being self-pitying. Um, mm. But I think everybody has their own process of grief. For me, I felt like, like why, I think because we were both so young and when you're young, you think that you're invincible, you know, that Mm. you're immortal. You don't think about death. So it was this idea for me that I just couldn't fathom why something like this would happen to us. And I remember even for Duke when he was sick um, in the final two weeks, he couldn't even have his friends over because he'd look at them and see fit, healthy bodies and wonder why 
it was him who had to suffer through that. And for me as well, um, like that why me, why us mentality that kicked in. Um, so I, I just tried to find places that I could relate to others um, and I couldn't find that. I couldn't find any of that material. So my only outlet was to write. Mm. Um, so I decided, you know what, maybe my experience won't be in vain if somebody else can gain something from it. Um, so that's when I took to pen to paper and started writing my blogs about that experience and mm. hoping that through my journey, it would help shed light on the a loss for someone else. And it was and, a therapy for me as well. And, like, you know, you touched on something so great where you said everyone processes grief differently and the thing is it's, it's like this swaying from wanting to allow yourself to grieve through that process but then you don't want to get into that stage of self-pitying but then when you do like how do you even be compassionate and vulnerable to that because that's probably even a part of healing in itself and um and and then like and the experience of or why us why me I think it's common when we're losing something like you know and yeah. not, not to downplay um the seriousness of your loss but I think for even um people who have ended relationships or you know for myself going through a miscarriage right or like a couple of miscarriages I so remember that experience of what's happening you know yeah. and it's so uncomfortable to be with it but yet the only way you can ride through it is the capacity to be with it. Yeah. The experience of grieving, like when we had the second miscarriage and um, yeah, I just didn't even know who to talk to about it or who could understand. And I think yeah. that when we grieve, we really do want to connect, but it's so hard to, be able to find someone yeah. to connect with on that same level, yeah. level of grief. Definitely. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's hard also coming from an Asian upbringing where, oh, you know, our yeah. parents and our grandparents, they don't talk about their emotions and they've gone through miscarriages in the past. They've, they've experienced all that, but they had no medical help. So they just sort of stay silent and deal with it. Mm. And they don't, and their way of showing you that, they're there for you is to you know bring you food or whatever instead of <laughs> talking to you about it um and I think that was hard too like I didn't know um my parents didn't really know how to be there for me while I was grieving they yeah. thought the best possible way to get me out of it was to pull me away from him while he was going through that suffering because they thought we're, we're going to protect her by by bringing her closer to us so she's away from the pain. But me being a rebellious teenager, I was like, no, he's dying. I'm going to spend all my time with him. But that, that was really hard. And even after I spent a lot of time with his mum, his family were really loving and accepting. They, they opened their arms to me, mm. which was a big help. Um, I think we, we went through, we rode that wave together. I think it helps to have someone to grieve with, but not for too long because then it sort of sucks you into this big <laughs> of grieving. Yeah. Um, yeah, but to share, to be able to share in that experience with someone who understands is so important. 
And you said something that touched on this is just so great, right? <laughs> Which is as Asian yeah. females or just Asians in general, where yeah. yeah, we're brought up not to feel our feelings. And I think that's so dangerous. Um, and I mean, that's pro- this is the reason why I created this podcast because not just for Asians, but I think for humanity. Yeah. You know, um, but what inspired me was, I think you know, everyone wants to learn. Everyone wants love. I truly believe every human being we want to be seen, heard, know that we matter, and we want love. You know, we want to give love yeah. and actually experience love. But I think that there's a barrier. And that barrier is how to love. And you can't actually understand how to love if you're not in tune with your emotions and your feelings and really yeah. embrace vulnerability. And you can't Definitely. embrace vulnerability when if you don't have the courage to lean into those really crazy feelings and know that those feelings don't define you. Mm. Um, and, yeah, like I, I do feel... I don't know how you were, but did you ever feel like when you were going through that time that you had to be strong or were you actually embracing that vulnerability, like that vulnerable side and allowing yourself to show to others that you were hurting and asking for help when you needed it or reaching out? Um, I think there was a level of resistance. Mm. My way of dealing with it was at first to be strong because his mum was handling the loss of her son a lot. Mm. Well, is it possible to be a compassionate griever <laughs> where <laughs> I felt like my loss was as not as significant as her loss, if that makes any sense? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I thought, you know, I've lost my partner. We've been together for three years, friends since primary school, but she's lost her child. You, no parent ever wants to you know, see, bury their child. And I was the one who had to walk down that hallway in the emergency room and tell her that he was dying. And if I wasn't strong, then how, who, who would be for her? Because she yeah. was falling apart. And throughout that process, I, I privately grieved I was grieving and everybody could see it. But when I was on my own, I was grieving a lot harder. Um, you know, I remember coming home from the hospital that day and stepped into the shower. I hadn't been able to eat. I had a massive migraine and I just threw up this bile. Um, and I felt this gut-wrenching pain, but I could never show anybody that how 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 much it hurt like the, the visceral the guttural sense of hurt that I was feeling and even my friends after some time they'd come over and they'd be like you know Sam it's been some amount of time I think you can go back to doing you know just best to go do things um get your mind off it but they couldn't understand that I needed to be um and people will always tell you you know our oh, time will heal yeah. um and those words sort of like don't mean anything yeah. to you at that time because you can't see past that. Um, and the only benefit I got out of counselling was um, hearing uh, one of my therapists say um, that grieving is like having a veil in front of your face. 
and you can't see past that veil. You're moving through life, but you can't see past that veil. And um, yeah, so no matter what anybody said, it wasn't helping. And I think it wasn't until I was ready to take on, you know, the, the healing, mm. was I able to actually step into getting help. But initially it was like this resistance, like, no, I don't need your help. It is that self-pitying, you know, like, I, I just need to feel this. I need to accept that he's gone because that was the hardest part was accepting it. Yeah, <clears throat> of course. So I want to ask you something. So you know how you said, um, you know, that like you almost felt that like you, you had to acknowledge or you wanted to give space for Duke's mum to to feel more because you felt that well her loss is bigger than your loss right um Mm. so I think we have this crazy thing in our society where we think like we almost invalidate our loss sometimes by comparing it to someone okay you know what I I shouldn't I shouldn't complain because you know my life is better than someone else's so what am I to complain about Mm. but it doesn't mitigate the fact that when you are feeling lonely, when you're feeling isolated, you know, it's still the same experience. And, um, you know, I, I had a friend, a close friend with me recently where he was sharing about how, yeah, like he's just feeling stuck and lonely and isolated. And then he yeah. immediately responded with, oh, but I shouldn't complain because I have the life that everyone wants to have. And then I wanted to say to him, yeah don't invalidate your feelings, don't invalidate that emotion because as a human being, when we go through these hard feelings, you know, we're allowed to, we're allowed, we're allowed to go through those hard feelings. You know, it doesn't mean that you're any weak. It doesn't mean you're ungrateful. It's just that we have these moments, we have these days and the last thing that we should do is invalidate our feelings, you know, because I think that makes it harder to I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I just got that from what you were yeah. sharing about. I, and, not, and obviously, you know, the, the grief from a mother losing her son would be different from a grief or loss uh, from a lover, but it's still loss, you know, it's still hard, but it's yeah. hard to compare, you know? That's right. I, I think it's normal. Um, become normal I should say it's not normal I, I I completely agree with what you're saying now looking back in hindsight and knowing everything I know that I shouldn't have invalidated my feelings um, but I think we've been as a society sort of like you said we're sort of taught that we shouldn't have these feelings that mm-hmm. someone else might have it worse than you you know, my mum would say things to me like, oh, at least um, you weren't married and had three children together. So, <laughs> it's a you know, thing. like, it could have, yeah, it could have it been worse. You know, you, you, you're still, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Move on. Like, it was, it, and I think maybe I took that on board because, you know, I'm try, I was trying to process it and also taking on all these other opinions and thoughts about how I should be dealing with it. And I felt like maybe what I feel isn't right. Mm. 
yeah I think also growing up sorry up growing up I was always told that I'm too sensitive as well so (laughs) yeah so maybe there was a part of me that felt that felt like oh maybe I'm just feeling way too much (laughs) share more about that you know because I think there's something about where I think society judges people who are empathetic and sensitive, you know, and it's almost viewed as weak. Um, Mm -hmm. But I believe that that's quite strong because it takes something to lean into your feelings. Um, And what's interesting about what you're sharing about your experience, what I'm getting is it's almost like it was hard for people to be with your grief. It was almost they couldn't be with that because they didn't know what to do and they wanted to make you feel better, but not understanding that how you were feeling was absolutely valid for that situation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, on that note, Mm. my grandfather was the worst person to be dealing with at that time because he's, he had, I think like an old Asian male mentality where it's like, you know, suck it up. Um, and he was just like, look, if you're, I came home one day moping and my grandmother was trying to have a conversation with me and I wasn't responsive. And he just walked up to me and said, if you loved him so much, why didn't you get into the coffin and get cremated with him? And, you know, it was, we can laugh about it now, but back then I was so in deep shock that he could even say something like that while I'm going through such a hard time and you know but yeah you're right society has this reaction to people who are overly expressive um especially for me I've always been a really sensitive person um when I was young even leaving the house was such a struggle because once everybody in the house the energy is frantic Mm. I started to sort of go into my own bubble and my mum would start yelling or my dad would start yelling and I'd sit in the back seat and cry and they were like why are you always crying you ruined the trip blah 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 um so I always had this part of me that I'm so responsive to people's emotions and energies and yeah and it just but I've always been made to feel like it was a weakness and that every time something went wrong it was my fault because I'm weak and sensitive Um, it was I think that was the biggest challenge for me coming into writing because I was so vulnerable when I wrote I wrote everything I felt and I felt like I was exposing all my weaknesses and I it took me so long to get to that point where I could actually write authentically and just share who I really am and how did that feel When I finally got to a point where I could write and not be afraid of what people thought about me, Mm. that was the most liberating, I should say, the most liberating experience because I felt like I didn't have to hide anymore. And I'd often say to my friends that, you know, I wouldn't hesitate to go streaking down the street naked um, (laughs) (laughs) and expose my body because just a body but to expose what's inside and internal is so much harder Mm. 
And so then like, you know, it's, it's funny with writing, right? Or not funny is that I find that, or for me, when I write, I can share myself a lot more authentically than in a conversation, depending on who it is. Um, so do you find that as well? Like, I mean, I think I'm getting better at, actually, when I say share myself authentically, I mean, look, I, authenticity is something that, you know, I always try to be, but in terms of opening up, I can only open up to certain people and have like, you know, these kind of conversations with certain people. I still hold that side of me back, that, that part of me, I still hold back. But when it comes yeah. to writing, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's everything's there. So I find that I'm able to express myself way easier uh, through my writing. Yeah. So is that how, how, how do you feel like, is that where you're at or have you moved beyond that? Um, yeah. I wanna, yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Okay. So up until about earlier this year, cause I finally decided to explore my writing a bit more by enrolling myself into my postgrad um, master of creative writing. And I remember the first week I was sitting in my creative writing class and we had to go do our rounds of introducing ourselves and I almost threw up on the desk. I was that nervous and I'm normally a really, you know, sociable, open person, but in this context, knowing that I had to expose myself to this room of people I don't know was mortifying. And um, it wasn't until I was in my poetry class and I'd submitted a poem I'd written and we were being workshopped and someone said to me, and it was a poem about Duk actually, about grief. And he said, you know, what you're writing, it, it's just, you've got so much there. We can see that you're hurting from this experience. You are the persona because we try not to intermix <laughs> The, you know the writer and the the voice yeah. um and he said but I feel like you've got this snake in a jar and you've just opened the lid and the snake's about to come out and then you've just shut the lid again um and it really made me think about how authentic I'm being in my writing like I'm too afraid to just go there too mm-hmm. afraid to just I have all these emotions, but I'm so afraid of what people would think and feel about my emotions that I couldn't even go nip, nip it in the bud, you know. So um, only only this year I finally gotten over that, you know, it's almost a level of self-absorption, I think, as a writer. You feel like your stuff is so precious yeah. and that everything you say matters. Um, but I've finally gotten over it this year and just started writing. Um, I do a lot of auto writing exercises. So just um, start with a question and write for three minutes without thinking. Don't even let the pen stop, just keep going. And then that's what sort of helped me open up that door a bit more and just not to think about the shit writing and just think about <laughs> like just keep writing and finding or discovering all these emotions that you didn't know were buried. Yeah. So then how have you expanded, you think, from the loss of Duke and in combining that with your writing? Like what have you learned from that as a human being or how do you think it's made you grow? Mm. Like how have you grown from that? Yeah. 
Well, initially when I wrote the blogs, I never thought about myself as a writer. Mm. Um, yeah, it was never, never something that crossed my mind. It was really, like I said, mentioned before, I shared my experiences to, to, in hopes to connect with somebody else. Um, and it wasn't until I've shared it around with friends and family and people were inboxing me just saying how they knew that I was grieving and they knew my pain and my experience, what I've been going through. But it was the way that I wrote the story that made them feel what I was feeling. And I had this ability to write so poetically and beautifully. And that's when it sort of crossed my mind. It sort of struck me like, wow, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just about the story itself, but people actually commenting on my writing and my ability to communicate. Um, and that's when I started to explore it a bit more. So I, I definitely feel like writing about it was cathartic for mm. me. Um, each, like it was, a, it, like I said, it was an auto writing experience. I just wrote how I felt. And with each word that was written, it was unveiling for me, unveiling a part of me that I didn't know I was feeling or couldn't comprehend in my head, but put down on paper um, or typed out on the keyboard, just exposed it for me and made me realise, oh, okay, and process it um, a bit better. And even now going back to read a lot of that, I just feel so much for that that girl yeah, who yeah. was experiencing that pain. And I've grown so much, I can't even recognise her anymore. Mm. But it's still, and I, I think reading it, reading it from a distance I, enables me to have so much more compassion for myself and what I've been through. Gosh, that's so important, isn't it? Like learning self-compassion. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Um, so I want to ask you, do you think, you know how you were saying, you know, before you even entered into this realm of writing, you didn't see yourself as a writer, but you're writing to be able to heal, to be able to express yourself and so forth. And so as you were, as you were sharing that, I just had this, this thought that the universe is just so magical. And even though we may not understand loss or, you know, something happening at that time, it was almost... And, you know, and you can correct me, right? But do you feel that, you know, everyone serves a purpose in someone else's life, right? And there's a divine plan for everyone. And so the loss of Duk was like the gift to you to be able to bring this gift to the world of like writing and self-expression. Oh, definitely. He, he was definitely my gift. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean thinking about myself when I was younger and being with him, he was just such a bold, charismatic person and so ambitious and driven and always excited, just this bubble of energy. And I remember just being really closeted because, you know, my upbringing, my parents being, a, I think a lot of <clears throat> Asian women can relate to this, but, you know, your parents don't let you go out. There's just so many rules. And I didn't know anything I was just so naive and him being a really independent the eldest of seven 
um, siblings, um, he just was so independent and driven, self-driven. So when we started dating, he showed me so many things. He taught me so many lessons. Um, he'd always encouraged me to chase after my dreams. And he had such colossal dreams. Like he wanted to be the next Richard Branson and own his own airline, become a pilot, you know, become a personal trainer, open up a gym. <laughs> like he just was this crazy person. And I was just really content. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to stay at home, look after the kids then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but he was always like, no, ch- go, go after more, chase more. So after he passed away, I felt like it was something that was taken away from him. And here I am given this gift of life to keep living and I just thought, what am I doing with myself? You know, why am I living so small mm. when you know, this person who lived so big wasn't given an opportunity to live in bigger, right? Mm. So in, in many ways, that's, that's his purpose for me. That was his, what I've learned from being with a person like him. And it made me question everything. It made me question so much more and aspire for more and aspire to make a difference. Um, so, yeah, I do feel that people come into our lives and for whatever purpose, whatever reason. You know, I... <laughs> but to share love. Mm. I, I believe that there's something really beautiful about hitting rock bottom, right? Um, and, you know, when you were saying mm. something about in his death, uh, in his loss, like you really grasp how precious life is. And mm. I can so attest to when, yeah, like when, <laughs> there's not like, so, you know, I was in a car accident uh, when I was 24 and it was a pretty crazy car accident where, you know, we could have done, like I, I fell asleep at the wheel, uh, car smashed into a telegraph pole, telegraph pole snapped in half there was fire everywhere. Wow. The car blew up. Um, so I was just really lucky to be alive, right? And Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. But that was a pivotal moment in my life where I realised, like, you know, it's in my being to distinguish how precious life is and to make choices and have conversations and do everything as though it's my last day so one of the things that guide me is you know have I loved today but it you know it took me a long time to um, really be able to authentically express love as well and allow love in but um, yeah just the gift of hitting rock bottom I think is I mean it's hard <laughs> like you know no one wants to hit rock yeah. bottom but you know it reminds me of something so Marianne Williamson had this conversation with Oprah Oprah Winfrey and that mm-hmm. love and they were talking about how love is the most beautiful energy and you know love always guides you you cannot go wrong if you're guided by love and then Marianne no Oprah asked Marianne Williamson this question she goes how do you learn do you learn through joy or do you learn through heartache and hardship and then Marianne Williams said it's unfortunate but I learned through heartache (laughs) and it's crazy how 
you know, as human beings, if we just trust the power of being guided by love, right, we really can avoid heartache and we really can avoid hitting rock bottom before we learn. But it seems like we're, without hitting that rock bottom, uh, we just don't learn the lessons as well. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I always say every heartbreak I experience or every, you know, little crisis that I experience as an evolution for my soul. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I've started to see it that way now because I learn so much more through every little hitch in the road, you know, just, and I grow and I, like, to this day, like, I, f- I feel like every heartbreak has become more and more bearable for me because I've just developed <laughs> this strength. And I just developed this love for myself that nothing can even penetrate through that love. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing can make the heart harden, which is so powerful. Yeah. Never let your heart harden. Like that's something that I remind myself, like whatever happens, um, do not let the heart harden. Do not build that wall. And I think what you shared, Mm. like, you know how you said every heartbreak, it's like an evolution of the soul but it's also expanding your empathy. It's also expanding how you can empathize with humanity. Yeah. Do you think that? Oh, definitely. I think also you learn, and I've had to learn this very recently, that if I'm hurting, the other person is also hurting just as much. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm learning Absolutely. to see the mirror in everything. And we forget that, don't we? We forget that if we think we're the only ones that's hurting if we're ever in any circumstance, but the other person's just hurting as much as well and they're yes. working their stuff. How very human of us, right? (laughs) So let me ask you. So I know that, you know, since you've lost Duke and you speak so beautifully of his memory and so forth. So how have you moved on? And and you mentioned dating, but in your mind, do you still compare? Because, see, I think when relationships end because things don't work out, you know, it's like, okay, things didn't work out. But he, the relationship was so beautiful and it would have, been a benchmark you know <laughs> or, or yeah. yeah so how do you how do you work through that yeah it's interesting because I I don't think I have compared mm-hmm. him to anybody else because I acknowledge that every human is different and that I will probably never find anything like what we had again mm-hmm. it's going to be different and I think what it's really taught me, though, is my capacity for love mm. to find, you know, there was there were so, certain things that when I was with Duke, I thought, oh, you know, he, yeah, he set those benchmarks. But then being with somebody else, they have other qualities and other traits and other ways that they can give that I've grown to love as well. So I just feel like... I, the, the biggest, okay, the biggest takeaway for me mm. from my experiences of writing was 
realizing that love is transcendental like there were no limits to how much I loved him love present tense (laughs) I still love him and even death couldn't take that away because how I feel about him felt about him then I feel about him now and that for me is so valuable because it's transferable Mm. you know how I feel about if, if love doesn't die, even with death, then love is still ever so present and there's just so much of it. And that's one thing that has helped me move on because I, I figure if, if my love for him hasn't died, then love can still exi- coexist in every plane and that I can have love again here, but doesn't mean that I'll lose that love I had for him either. Mm. So let me ask you, do you think love is a feeling or is love a choice? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say it's both? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's a feeling for me. I've always been really in touch with the feeling of love, but it is a choice in that when you are with somebody that you constantly have to choose to live in love with that person mm. or with anybody really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we really can truly choose to love everybody, even our enemy, like choose them and choose to send love to them and choose to see beyond their fear and their hurt or whatever it is that they're, Mm. yeah well I've had this thought recently um Yumi because I haven't told you this I've gone vegan in the last nine months yeah and it's really interesting how when I say that I'm vegan the sort of responses I get from people (laughs) (laughs) like oh she's probably crazy (laughs) let's just put her in a so yeah like uh People get so defensive about meat eating around vegans. It's really interesting. It's like, hey, I'm not attacking your decision to eat meat. I'm just not eating meat. Mm. And I find it really fascinating. It's because there are so many vegans out there who are really anti, obviously, animal cruelty and push that view to the point where it becomes a bit like shoving a religion down someone's throat. And people just get really defensive. Um, So recently there was um, a person who was going on about how the farmers should be suffering because, you know, what they're doing isn't right and so on. Um, I feel like just because we've made that decision to, you know, go vegan and make that choice for ourselves that we shouldn't lack compassion for a human being who's been born and raised on a farm to graze animals. Mm. And that's all they know and that's their livelihood and we're saying, hey, you deserve to suffer. It's like, yeah, we've built this compassion, grown this compassion for animals, but we've lost compassion for humans. Yeah. I think people are so So, protective of their choices or 
defensive of their choices, not because I, I think that comes down to fear. You know, because I believe mm. if you are resolved in who you are and whatever choice you make, other people's judgments or opinions wouldn't even impact you because it, it's coming from their own world or their own. What Don Miguel Ruiz talks about in the four agreements is nothing's ever personal. You know, um, everything that anyone says or anything that anyone um, shares is really from their world, their dreams, their, you know, whatever is going on with them. So whenever we get defensive over something, um, it's because there's a lack of wholeness within ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Because mm. if you know who you are, you wouldn't have to defend. Because it wouldn't really matter, right? <laughs> it wouldn't matter what someone else that's says. That's right. <laughs> Because you're making a choice from I think I've given up on that. Mm. That's it. I think when you get to that point where you feel like you don't have to defend your decisions or your choices anymore, then you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, totally. It's very liberating. Yeah. (laughs) It's sort of what I shared with you earlier, Yumi, about writing. Yeah. I remember the first time I started writing, I was constantly having to justify my writing Mm. to myself, like, oh, I'm writing because this, and, you know, gave myself a feeling of importance. But now I don't even justify it anymore. I just write. I don't don't give myself a reason why I write or I just do it. And it's become less of a a chore because... I just do it and I don't have to give myself a reason or justify it. And I think that's a really nice place to be with anything. Oh, totally, right? Being 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 guided by joy. How beautiful would that be? Just to be guided by that experience of joy and bliss. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was it's it's from a book by um uh oh Esther and Jerry Hicks where it's called Ask and It Is Given. And they talk about how as a human being, like our truest potential or our truest self is to be in a, in a state of joy, in a state of bliss. Anything else, we've just, I don't know, we've just imposed our humanity on it. But our truest state <laughs> is to be in joy. And I loved reading that. Um, but I also mm. think that we have to allow ourselves to believe that we are worthy of joy, that we are enough and that, and, and be open to joy as well, you know? Yeah, definitely. So let's, like, you know, talk about joy, right? <laughs> let's talk about your pole dance. <laughs> like, there's so much joy yes. there. I saw that going in that direction. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't meant, it was just flowing and, like, you know, it came, it was a natural Yes, yeah, so I remember starting pole dancing when it was still a bit taboo, like yeah. really heavily associated with stripping. It still is now, but I think we've become a bit more open-minded because so many people are doing it. Um, yeah, but especially, and going again, going back to really conservative Asian upbringing, it was the scariest thing. Like, no, nobody don't nobody posts these photos up on Facebook. I don't want my parents finding out I do this. <laughs> 
but now my Facebook profile is a picture of me doing a flag half naked and I love it <laughs> and I don't care who sees it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, I, well, I had a um, background in hip-hop dancing yeah. and I, th- I think I got to that stage with hip-hop where, okay, I loved dancing and I, I was good at it, but I just wasn't able to fully express myself. <clears throat> I felt like there was there were more more ways I wanted to experiment with my body. And when I found pole, it was like magic for me. Like, wow, I can I can move sensually and yeah. just feel. Yeah, and that, that was so empowering um, to be able to just own it. Um, and then also grow that upper body strength that a lot of women um, often comment like, oh, wow, you have great upper body strength. I'm like, well, you can get it too if you just start. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like it didn't just happen overnight. It came from failing and failing and failing and trying and trying and trying to get back up on that pole. And yeah, now I just, I I can't stop. Mm. It's become an addiction. And it's, and you know what? I think it's so beautiful that we can be, we can allow ourselves to be consumed by something that brings us joy and be open and go, yeah, like I'm addicted to this because it's beautiful and it allows me to, I don't know, be a better human being and self-expressed. So, but I think that, do you yeah. think human beings then though find it hard to say the same kind of things about love? Like I feel that as so, like this, so so I used to be an alpha female, right? And what I mean by that is, I was like this other human being where I was like, I don't need no man, right? Um, but I could freely give myself to my hobbies, you know, and freely talk about how much I love them and um, how much I enjoyed it and be consumed by it. But when it came to relationships, it was almost I could not bring that same amount of openness. Mm. What do you think about that? And, and, and I don't know if it's a female Asian thing. I mean, I'm a completely different human being now because I'm besotted with my husband. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but that took a long time. It really took me, it was like, you know, after I turned 30 that I realised that the whole building a wall and creating this tough exterior just didn't work in relationships you know Mm. yeah no it's really interesting you said that because the other day I was just saying to the girls um that I would never ditch pole for a date (laughs) (laughs) that was that was a (laughs) non-negotiable oh interesting yeah Yeah, because some of the girls are like class because they were on a date and I'm like I would never do that poll comes first um yeah but I I try to find other times to go out on a date but just I I think it is interesting like that we can be so invested in a hobby or the things that we love but in a relationship it takes a bit more Mm. you know and interesting doing what I do by nature, I get a lot of um, attention yeah. and men often ask me for private shows. <laughs> and I'm 
like, no, you got to earn that, buddy. <laughs> you got to earn the private show. You don't just get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting point you put across because I think I am still a bit alpha female in that sense, but I think in relationships I'm a bit more vulnerable. Mm. I put on, I think pole gives me that power or anything like my career my passions all give me that empowerment, um, that sense of independence and freedom and confidence that probably puts out there that I don't really need a man. But I think everybody craves being cared for and loved. And, yeah, yeah, so in a relationship, I am a lot more vulnerable and I'm not that strong, independent, feisty person that I portray myself on social media yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it's interesting that you would you use the word um independent right because I think we think that when we are in love or in relationship we lose our independence but if anything mm. the greatest relationships are the ones where you have you know your own you, you're still your own person um mm-hmm. You can still like you know, but you can also allow yourself to be codependent with someone, you know. And it's a balance yeah. that. Um, whereas, you know, I think if you asked me, maybe before I met John, um, I would have thought to be dependent on anyone is horrible. Like it's like the one of the worst things that you can do. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but. I don't know, it's actually a really nice feeling to to need someone and to know that someone's there for you, but also being able to balance that out with um yeah, your own your own sense of self. Mm-hmm. I ask you, we're t- since we're talking about, you know, self-expression and love and vulnerability, have you fallen in love since Dook? Yes, many times. Mm-hmm. And um to boys who probably didn't deserve it. But <laughs> um, no, I think if anything, the people I have loved have taught me that I have, I talk about, talked about this capacity to love. Yeah. And I think each time I've fallen in love again, it's told me that it's, it's taught me that I, I can love and that my capacity to love is never ending. It's boundless. So each experience has definitely taught me something new about myself and love in a relationship and love for myself as well. Oh, that's so beautiful. That is so beautiful because it's so easy to close your heart, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. With the amount of times my heart's been broken, I think a lot of people would think that, Mm. you know, be really cold and callous and shut people off but each time I remind myself to keep opening up Mm. and to do it again and not be afraid to fall in love again that is so cool thank you so (laughs) much for such a wonderful conversation I've loved and hung on to your story and every word you shared and thank you so much for just constantly wearing your heart on your sleeve you know, it's so inspiring. 
Oh, thank you so much for allowing me onto your podcast <laughs> and opening up this space for me to talk about the, the experience because I think it's so important um, that everybody, uh, I'm sure everybody can relate in one way or another to the experience of grief. Yeah. And yeah, I think hopefully it'll touch on somebody. I'm sure it will. And we just, we need to talk again because I want to talk more about this um, Asian female kind of side, right? Because I think, yeah, um, yeah, we'll have to explore that on another on another day because there's so much to talk about there <laughs> in terms of love and the barriers that, you know, I guess the stigma or what we've inherited from our culture, which mm-hmm. is so unconscious and um yeah i think it'll be a really great conversation to have sam thank you so much i can't wait to share this episode um and yeah i'd love to have you on the podcast again thank you so much yumi you're welcome sending lots of love and thank you everyone for listening um please share with us in the comments or reply to us if there's anything that sam can they like ask you questions i think they can like send through messages to me and i can pass them on to you or something um in regards to like oh that'd be great yeah if like something if someone has gone through something similar sure cool have a great evening sam you too bye